Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? It's movie night. It was definitely movie night last night for me. I'll tell you what. So it was about, I don't even know because I can't count that high. I had my shoes off, everything. It was about 200 episodes ago that we did a special on business documentaries. You can still go find it in the feed. And we were going to follow up on all of these great things. We were going to watch these movies. Now I watched them. I watched them and I'm not, yeah. I'm, not throwing, I'm just going to say that Matt <laughs> didn't watch the movie. Now, I don't know which one that was, but you know, there's, you know, for those of you that are, Oh, really into business, uh, achievement, stuff like that. Business documentaries can be a, a really, uh, a, a, a fruitful and, uh, educational, time that you can spend now I, I spend a lot of time I watch a lot of TV shows and documentaries and stuff like that that are about business or I don't know I just like a good story and so we have wanted to do this for a while and we're going to do it people it's time this is the first ever movie night and we are going to start with a very interesting film today it is titled Jiro Dreams of Sushi now Matt have you watched the movie I did I watched it last night Okay, so now for those of you listening, there's there will be some minor spoiler alerts here. So you know you're gonna you're gonna need to maybe watch it first, but there's not a whole lot to spoil here. So I'm gonna give you a little background. Jiro Ono, he currently 94 years old. He's a Japanese man. He's a chef, and he's the owner of of Suki Sukiya Bashi Jiro in Tokyo, Japan. This is a restaurant that is only 10 seats and it's in a subway station. Now, based on what I just told you, Matt, does that sound like a world-class restaurant? Sounds like a weird ass place to have a restaurant. The t- 10 seats in a subway. Yeah. Okay. So now with that, Jiro and his restaurant have had Michelin stars. Yep. Are you aware of what a Michelin star is? I am. Yes. Have you, ever weird... Michelin, have you eaten at a Michelin star restaurant before? I have not. No, it's a weird underground rating system that nobody understands, but everybody wants. And there are only four states in the United States that have a Michelin rated restaurant. That shows you true? how. Yeah, I looked it up last night. They were in okay, the United so... States. It was New York, California, Illinois, and Washington. That was it. Okay, so in, in regards to a Michelin star, now Michelin is... And that's M I C H E L I N. And that's his, so Michelin had its first restaurant rating guide come out in 1900. And it's French, French origin. Now, if you are going to earn a Michelin star, one star would be the restaurant is considered to be very good in its category, but it's limited in some ways. The restaurant has a quality menu and prepares cuisine to a consistently high standard, but it may lack a unique element that would bring people back over and over again. Now, that said, if you have a one star Michelin rating, you're still like 
like Matt said, well, you said there's only there's only four states that have a Michelin restaurant. Wouldn't a lot of restaurants meet that criteria? You just I think right? it still has. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it. I, I but this is only for the true cream of the crop, uh, apparently. So a two star Michelin restaurant has excellent cuisine delivered in a unique way. This restaurant has something exceptional to offer and is worth a detour while traveling. Now. The three star. Now, I think Startup Hustle is definitely a three star Michelin absolutely place. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Always has been ever since the very first episode, right? Yes. Yeah, always say that. And, and I'm looking at myself Delicious. and the video. I do have a mohawk right now, which <laughs> I have grown so tired of quarantine. It is now time for hair games. Uh, it might be a blonde mohawk by the next movie night. We'll with see. Blue, with some blue uh, highlights, please. Possibly, possibly. Now, here's the thing. If you get a three-star, now this is the highest rating, that restaurant has exceptional cuisine and is literally worth traveling to its country of origin just to go to the restaurant. Yep. That better be a damn good restaurant, man, if I'm like traveling to a foreign country to go to. But the three-star, this, this is the top. So now chefs from all over, that they... they, they literally kill themselves for these ratings like right. they are dedicated like it is it and if you are a three-star michelin chef in that world you're famous now matt are you a cook i'm not not really nope have you did you ever work at a restaurant nope okay i did briefly i've worked at like a couple but i was no good at it i didn't like it now i know some people do you know people that are like the culinary people that are like cooking is the most amazing thing I can do with my time. Well, you know, I, I think cooking is one of those things where we all can cook like basic stuff at home, right? But then you get to a certain level of it is, and it's more like you're a chemist. Yeah, and like, that's the thing. And it's it's never really been my thing. I'm great at eating. <laughs> Not so good. But you know, the thing that I don't like, it's the preparation. I don't like preparing and cleaning up. I like the act of actually cooking the stuff. I'm, a, well, you know, I, I, I'm okay with that part. Well, and, but and it's, it's all the like chopping and shaving and fluffing. Well, and that was one of the things that Jiro said in the movie is actually 95% of the work is the, is the preparation the before yeah. it gets to him and before it gets to the final serving of the customer. So let's, let's talk about Jiro for a minute. Now, this is, you know, here we are on a startup podcast and, uh, you know, that's for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Jiro is very much an entrepreneur. Can Absolutely. we check that box? Absolutely. Okay. So, so this guy, and, and he's still alive now. Now, this movie's from 2011. It doesn't, that doesn't affect its quality or storyline. Um, so at, in the time of the movie, dude is 84 years old. Not a young guy. Not a young guy, no. but he started working when he was seven years old. Yep. His seven. dad died. So my, my oldest child is five and a half. That would mean she's 18 months away from her starting her career. But yeah, so this was, uh, I mean, let's, it's legitimately a different time, you know? And uh, so here he is, his dad bails, his mom's kind of out of the picture at this point, and he goes to work and gets a job at a restaurant. It was 33 years later in 1965 when he opens his restaurant. Now, at this point, he is considered by his contemporaries to be the greatest living sushi craftsman on the planet. 
So let's talk a little bit about why. Now with movie night, I think that, you know, we'll pick it, we'll pick a movie. We hope that you will go watch it too. Now there are some lessons to be learned that could be positive or could be negative. Some of the stuff that we're going to, that we're going to profile on movie night might be written around things that people did that were really dumb. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, there's, but with Jiro, I think that, so this guy gets up every single day and goes to work at 5 a.m. He works from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. And he hates days off. He does. He does. Like literally he, he, and they're interviewing this guy. So he is a quiet Japanese man. But by the way, if I'm ever an old Japanese man, I want to be Jiro because he's, he's legit. I mean, this guy is like the absolute picture and definition of dedication. Uh, Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I think it was incredible talking about how he he loves work so much and his dedication to his craft like you know it's a big thing they talked about in the movie is that you know you have to pick what you want to do and dedicate your whole life to it and i mean he he definitely represents what a lot of us need to do if we want to be masters of what, what we do is daily you know sharpening of the saw of getting better every day and dedicating your life to it and what, one of the things that blew me away is he said it takes 10 years to become a master sushi, sushi chef. And for us that are laymen at sushi, it seems like a pretty damn simple thing to do. Like they cut a piece of tuna and they slapped it on a piece of rice. It seems pretty damn simple, right? But you watch this movie, you get a whole new appreciation. And that was one of the big things that he talked about. Like when he started doing sushi, Everybody felt like sushi had been perfected. Like, oh yeah, everybody knows how to make sushi and lots of people are good at it. There's no way to innovate in this space, right? And that was like 50 years ago. And he started making new recipes and new ways to to perfect things that nobody had ever saw before, which made him become quickly the like best sushi chef in the world. And this was like 50 years ago. So you mentioned that Jiro loves to work. I don't think he works, man. I think that he does. I think he is doing what he loves to do. I don't think he sees it as work. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the interesting lessons. Now you've heard me say before that about, oh, I don't know, 20 years ago, I decided making money was going to be my hobby and I haven't worked a day since. Yep. I mean, it's the same kind of philosophy. Like I don't look at a lot of the stuff that I do and I feel that I'm very dedicated and borderline obsessed with a lot of stuff. But that's that mental process. If you're doing what you're passionate about, it doesn't feel like work. And I think that that's where he's at. He wants, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you, when they're interviewing him. And by the way, this whole thing's in Japanese. Like it you is. Read it yes. sub, you read it in subtitles. Um, and I watched it with my wife, who, by the way, is not a fan of documentaries, but she found it very fascinating. But she said at one point, she goes, his life seems really boring. And, but, and it was at a time in the movie where he's literally saying every day, I'm ecstatic. I am beyond excited to be here getting better at what I do. Now he's literally saying, he's like, you got to pick something. You got to dedicate your life to it. Now, Jiro's sons worked at the restaurant. He has two sons. One of them is 50 years old and is still technically his apprentice. Yep. Can you imagine? So 
So, yeah, that's crazy. Now, the other one who's younger has opened his own restaurant. Now, the question is why? Now, in Japanese culture, oftentimes the oldest, the eldest son will take the place of the of the father. Yeah. So he's kind of in line doing that. Now, we mentioned preparation. So these this the son gets up every day and rides a bike with a with a like a styrofoam cube on the handlebars basically <laughs> down to the fish market and you know it's it's interesting like he's got a guy for everything oh yeah Did you notice that he's like yeah i got it so he's like i got my tuna guy yeah. i got my mackerel guy yeah. I got my octopus guy and then and then the thing is is he said you know i've been doing this my whole entire life but every single one of these vendors knows these things better than than i do yeah, and one one of the big things I one of the lines I really liked he said is the they're talking about the tuna guy and the tuna guy is like if there are ten tunas, only one, one has to be, best. be the best. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that was that was their whole the whole thing about the restaurant is having the absolute best piece of fish that can possibly exist, and they don't even care what it costs; they care about perfection. Well, I think we could we could say they don't care what it costs because it's a minimum of three hundred U.S. dollars per seat. Yes, to eat at this restaurant, and the and price by has the way, went up since then. Even they don't serve appetizers, they don't serve drinks. You get sushi. Yeah, and funny. you don't order. You don't order it. You eat what they serve you. It was funny. He said they used to do appetizers and drinks, and people would spend all their time, and then they'd only eat like five pieces of sushi later. And he's like, "Screw this shit." People came here for the sushi. And now you get nothing but 20 pieces of sushi or whatever, and that's it. Okay, so the the less, I think the lesson there is like, be great at something. Well, and I think that's the key. You know, they talked a lot about in the in the documentary is they're like, there is absolutely no secrets to anything we do. Anybody can make sushi. You know, we make sushi just like everybody else. It's just we have perfected every single aspect of it and we go to great detail of every aspect of it every single day with consistency, but there are no secrets. There are none at all. It's just, we do a better job than everybody else every single day. I think another important thing, we go back to like the fish market is, you know, I've always, I've always loved being around other people that had that dedication slash obsession with what they were doing. I, I find it really fascinating. Like, you know, my, my buddy Jake Seninger and Humphreys McGee is very much like this as a guitarist. Um, just the level of dedication and obsession, like no, literally knowing everything front and back. And it's that, it's that masterful understanding of what people are doing. And like I said, like, here's the thing though, dedic okay, are you a genius or are you crazy? Are you obsessed or are you driven? Um, I've been searching for years, looking for people that are masters at stuff mm -hmm. that are just magically good at it. They're not, man. Like you might have some talent for it. You then you have a passion for it, and then you work hard for it. Well, now one of the things he talked about in the movie, though, that that I wrote down in my notes is that if people work really hard, they can be successful. But there is a next level above that, and the only way anyone ever achieves that is if they have some gifted talent. Yeah. And there, there is another level. Like you talk about the guys at Humphreys McGee that are the best at what they do. I can play guitar forever, and I am never going to be as good at the guitar as them. They, they have a yeah. special talent. Yep. And I, I think the big thing to understand that a lot of people 
you know, who are listening is you have to have that special talent in a lot of ways to reach that pinnacle level of success. I mean, you can work hard and you can be successful, but there are certain people that are so good at what they do because they have that talent and you cannot replace it. You, you either have the talent or you don't. It's, it's no doubt that no different than Mike Trout goes out and hits a bajillion home runs and nobody knows. Everybody can see that he does it, but not anybody can step up to the plate and do it. You either have the talent or you don't for some things in life. But the people that have that level of talent, they still work ridiculously they hard. Do. And that's the whole point. I mean, it's like, you know, you look at like Tiger Woods as a golfer back in his prime yes. who was fairly unbeatable. I mean, that guy was hitting hundreds of golf balls a day from when he was like, he was on Johnny Carson when he was like five years old. There's no secrets about how to hit a golf ball, but he does it better than everybody else. And that's the, but that is repetition. It's dedication. And it's also like the science of things, Mm -hmm. you know, like really breaking it down. And that's like, we go back to like the guitar, like a guitarist, like Jake knows how to play the, the chords front and backwards. Yeah. Like, I literally have a video on YouTube of him and I talking about that. And he's talking about sitting and looking at his guitar from like the other angle, not holding it, like staring at it face first and like calculating how to play everything backwards. Cause if you can't do it frontwards and backwards and you're not going to be totally a master. What, now, one of, know, my- one of the things, what, one of the things with, with the, and I, and I'll finish the seafood market thought is, is, uh, people people that are masterful and at the top of their game and that be that achieve this level of of success they surround themselves by other great people yeah i think that that's an important like he's like i can't get this done i can't go out and catch these fish you know i can't i can't find them off the boat and i don't i'm not the one that needs to go say this one out of 10 is the best out of 10 and all that and and i think that while it seems as at first as, oh, here's a guy that's good at stuff. No, he's got a team. He has like I the, the, the world expert like, at tuna. Yeah. It, or how about the, the people like, okay, there's a guy, there's a guy in this that's been an apprentice there. He was there for 10 years and then they let him cook eggs. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it took him over 400 times to perfect. After the they let him do it. Yeah. 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 He tried I four times not, a day yeah. for months before he could actually I mean, make it the right way. Wouldn't you want to cry after 10 years if you finally got to cook eggs and they're like, nope. And then you got to like that 373rd try and they're, oh, you're still not there. Yeah, that's insane. I would have been like, what? What? So, all right. One of the other things we we talked about being masterful and and expert at at what you do and all that. One of the other lines that I I wrote down I thought was really good is, is they felt like for their food and their sushi, there was an exact moment of deliciousness where the food was better than at any other time based on the right temperature, the timing, you know, how long ago they put on the topping, the exact temperature of their rights, how, you know, the age of the fish, like every single detail, there was one exact moment when it was the most delicious to eat. And their job was to make that exact moment, the exact moment that somebody ate it. And that level of scrutiny to every detail was amazing. That that means that in the event that it needed seven hours mm-hmm. or seven minutes or whatever, yes. that is the way. And and they were and you know Jiro is sitting there. He's talking about the service and the preparation and all of it, and he's comparing it to an orchestral situation where he's yes. got to. 
you know, coordinate all these different things. And, you know, like, think about that. And, and, you know, there's parts in this movie where they're trying what they're doing and, you know, think about it. It's gotta be easy on some days to just want to maybe mail that in. You're like, Oh, it's at 99%. These guys don't settle for that. Like, which is nuts. And you know, that that's, well, if you're doing the same damn thing every day, to some degree, it makes sense to be like, how do I do it a little bit better than I did yesterday? Right. 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 And after 50 years, you get a long way. Look, if if you if you are one percent better than you were yesterday at anything, and you keep that pace up, yeah, uh, you become pretty damn good. You know, it's mm-hmm. just I mean that's just the math of it. You just get a little bit better, and and why? Because you're not regressing. You don't have to spend time to get back to where you were. Now, I think that part of like with with Jiro now. So is Jiro obsessed? Do you think that he's does he have an obsession? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Now. Do you think that's unhealthy? Uh, no, I mean, I think it's a quality that is important. He's 94 years old and he's still alive. So I think it it's a quality for it. anybody who wants to be a master at what they do. And, and at one point they talked about like the five, um, the five, the five qualities of a chef. Yes. Yeah. And I don't, the I didn't write them chef. down, but you know, some I of remember, the, I remember some of them. I mean, they were the ups, well being obsessed with the quality cleanliness was one of them. Um, I thought it was interesting. Impatience, impatience. Yeah. Uh, impatience was the one you wouldn't expect, but with that, it, you know, I can appreciate that because I'm, I'm impatient and sometimes it's not good for what I'm doing. And sometimes it's the best thing ever. Like, it being impatient on some levels has made me a better salesperson because I get to the point and ask for the sale. Um, on then it's challenging at other times. And I would imagine that that would also be hard from a, a chef's perspective. Cause you know, like you said, like if you have to wait five hours, you have to wait five hours. That's not always easy. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting, you talk about that level of preparation. So octopus, now, if you've had calamari or something like that, you've had it at some point. It felt like you were just chewing on rubber. Right. And and he addresses that. He's like, uh, when people don't do octopus right, it tastes like rubber, but it yeah. shouldn't. It should be filled with flavor. It should be soft. It should be chewy. So in order to do that, we massage the octopus for 50 minutes. Yes. Isn't that crazy? 50 minutes. So I had, ironically, I had squid for dinner last night. My wife made squid. Was it chewy? We got at the Asian market and uh, it was a little chewy. And now I'm thinking maybe I, I should have asked you her to, to massage, massage it for 30 minutes or so. Ask her, ask, <laughs> ask your wife to massage your octopus <laughs> for at least 40 minutes. And yeah. Just see how, just see. Now, did she watch this with you? Uh, a little bit. She was busy uh, okay. just cooking while I was watching it. She was busy making octopus. Yeah. I see. I Squid. See. So now, you know, this relentless pursuit of perfection. I mean, here's the thing it didn't highlight on. I mean, I, you know, you say is, is that obsession or that dedication, can it be unhealthy? I think it probably can be on some levels. Like I can't imagine that Jiro has like a, has had like a remarkably strong home life. I mean, he even says that he's like, I wasn't much of a, of a parent outside of teaching my kids, the virtues that I learned inside this restaurant. Yeah. I mean, cause he's there from 5.00 AM to 10.00 PM every day that they're open except for national holidays. Well, and he, I mean, he said though, he's like, I'd rather be at work than be at home and be bored. He's like, what, what would I do? Yeah. What would I do if I was at home right now? So who do, do you, who do you know 
that you would most compare to Jiro? Because for me, it would have to be my, it would have to be Jake Sanninger um, from a musician standpoint. I mean, because the dude's the same way. And I've known a couple other musicians that are like that. And I've asked him, I'm like, if you're not playing guitar, are you, what then? He goes, well, then I'm thinking about it. <laughs> same, which is the same kind of thing. I can't think of anybody I know that really reminds me of this, but. Yeah, it's for me, it's, it's, it's the musician thing. Cause some of these people, it's like, like I said, they get up at, and the ones that are really great, like Jake really does. Like he gets up at his whole life is structured around it. And, you know, with that, in order to make that happen, we talk about surrounding yourselves by, uh, with the right people. Like I have some of the dedicated and obsessed qualities and it's hard to shake. Like it's, it really, the obsessive part, like, are you obsessed or are you driven? Um, there's a lot of things in life that have that, uh, line down the middle, you know, and it just depends on whose perspective, mm -hmm. like, if you ask me, I'm driven. If you ask my wife, she'll say I'm obsessed now, you know, that, that those things can have the ability to kind of eat you up though, you know, and it's, uh, um, kind of like my inability to mention that today's episode of Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io. I was so obsessed with talking about Jiro's obsession, I forgot the little things at hand. But you know, well, overall, like, well, I was going to say, I mean, so I'm, you know, I'm a software developer at heart, and I'm a problem solver, and I'm very driven, and I can be very obsessed with particular problems, like if something's wrong or needs to be fixed or whatever, and to my own fault because I can easily get burnt out doing it. And, you know, especially during this time of quarantine and all of this for the last seven weeks, I'm feeling pretty burnt out. I mean, I, I'm like going to force myself to take a couple days off actually over the next week because I, I have just been so obsessed working so hard. And now that we're all working at home, there's, you know, we blur the lines between yep. work and, and, and home life. And it's crazy, but I, I'm definitely that way. I can be very obsessed about, you know, work and it can be very detrimental to a mental health perspective. That's something that I always have to, to figure out how to balance. So I, you know, for, in, for myself in that same situation, I, I don't, I, I'm not as great as at scheduled days, um, I've just learned to accept a little more that, all right. So here's the thing is I, I, you can't, you can't schedule inspiration. And I think if I feel inspired or motivated or I'm having some moments of clarity, I try to capture them and I ride them as long as I can. That's the thing that that's why, you know, you hear me talk about my relationship with, uh, high performing musicians. And, and by the way, that they're as fascinated with me as I am with them for different reasons um, that, you know, like you look at like what we did at full scale. I mean, we built a company that had 200 employees within its first 18 months. Like that's, that's a whole nother story. Yep. Now, now on the flip side, the reason that I'm so impressed and, and trying to get to the bottom of the musician thing is those dudes have to flip a switch at a specific time and they have to fucking rock mm -hmm. or or people are like remarkably disappointed. Now, Jiro was the same way. He's like, I can't have people come in here and not think that this was the most amazing meal right. that they've ever had. Right. So that's flipping that switch. And, and, you know, and the more that I've learned about this, it's the same way with the musicians. It's preparation. Like it's all the way down to the sound check. It's the, it's the way the guitar's tuned. It's where that knob is on the foot pedal and just the amps and just like all of it. 
And it's also by keeping themselves in that headspace where they aren't that far away from where they need to be at the moment they need to flip the switch. Right, and yep. that's, the, that's the part that I think as an entrepreneur and a business owner is hard because it's easy to get thrown off. Now, recently, Full Scale uh, hired a sales director and that's had a, a, is having a very profound effect on my ability to, to do things that aren't just general sales activities. Like I just shared a 44 page document with you yesterday that I wrote and about some the direction of the company or different things like that. Now, I, if I have to at work as the salesperson or doing other stuff, I'm not able to get myself in that space where I can produce. That's a lot. That was a long document, you know, now that said, it's hard to sit down and, and capture focus to do some certain things like that, but I'm, I'm happy I did it, but it was because of a good supporting staff. So, I mean, and, th and that was the thing too, is so back to, you mentioned earlier. So Jiro flat out says, he's like, I think some of my, he, he, he's very humble. He says, I, I think some of my success or notoriety is maybe not deserved because I have the easy job. I'm the one that I do the last 5%. Mm -hmm. Which, but, but which by the way, is, is a whole nother, well, a whole nother like, labor of love too. But, but I think one of the key things that wraps into that, that, that they talked about on the show, is that he said, before you can make good food, you have to know the difference between good and bad food, right? True. And, and that really goes to any part of business that we do, right? Like, what is good software? I mean, you can hire anybody to write software, but unless somebody that's working on it understands what it means to create good software... You can't measure against that, right? And you can't necessarily create good software. And for for them, he is the final measuring stick. Everybody there knows they have to create something to his level of standards or it's going to get thrown back in their face. And what all the work they did all day long is going to be considered a waste of time and not good enough, right? And so his presence, even if, his, he, even if he only does 5% of the work, he has set the bar so ridiculous high, ridiculously high and holds everybody to that standard that they know they have to meet that level of standard from him. And just his presence forces that and creates that. And and I think that's a good leadership lesson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's it's you know, and the thing is, is and back to and you know, in Congress with that man is is he's saying, Hey, look, this is the standard that we operate on. Anything less than this is not how we're going to do it. We're not serving and, it. I mean, well, that's one of the things as business partners, I think you and I have always like been very, very much in alignment. Like we said that with full scale, like we, we, we didn't intend to start that business, but as we saw an opportunity, we said, look, we need this to be a world-class offering. We need this to be something that is is in alignment with what we would ex what we would find acceptable as customers or in this case like Jiro's like I need this to be great at the restaurant now man I've thrown out a lot of stuff in life because it was I was like ah oh, this is junk you know like and sometimes starting over and and doing it again is the best way to do it and sometimes you know but that, that's hard for other people. Cause like you said, like these guys might spend all day working on something and then it's like, Nope, yeah. it's not there. So, and, th and that's tough. That's tough though. That's tough for the, for the supporting cast. Cause they're like, eventually they want to be like, well, fuck you. Well, so another thing I think we should talk about is talk about his son some more. 
So sure. we, we mentioned that earlier, and he has two sons, and one of them left to go start his own restaurant after being his apprentice. He didn't He didn't leave. He Jiro told him to go. So, He's like, go start your own restaurant. And so the, But not only that, he told him he wasn't allowed to come back. There yeah. was no safety net. It's like, you Burn have to make this yeah. work. Yeah. You have to go be successful. You're not going to come back and crash on my couch. It, this isn't an option. And I think that was one of the great things that he did with his, his, I mean, he obviously taught his sons over like many, many years to be experts at their craft. But, and we talk about the level of perfection and, and, and all of that, but then told them, you've got to go be successful and you got to figure it out. Right. And I think that was another, another cool moment in the show is him talking about how his sons, like he's done everything he can to prepare them. He feels confident in them, but they have to go make their own way. And know that they have no, there's nothing to fall back to. They have to succeed. And you know, I, I, I mean, that's that, that's that equivalent of the Vikings burning the boats. Yeah. There's no turning back. Yes. And yeah. And you know, that, that's, I mean, that's something. So I, I used to work for a Japanese company, Roland. And, you know, I, I, this wasn't my first exposure to some of that mentality because this is, this is very common. Uh, in Japanese culture, the that well, the perfectionism, the dedication, the hard work, the non-acceptance of failure, but with that, that's also led to the world's highest suicide rate. Yeah, uh, because I mean, there's a lot of people that just don't see that failure as an option. Um, so now I, I'm curious, and I, I we hear that we am, the modern startup and entrepreneur has really being force fed the whole concept of, you know, Hey, fail, fail fast. It's okay. Stuff like that. I'm curious how that plays over there. That would, you know, that that's a different mentality. Cause if you've been told your whole life, you know, do not fail, burn the boat, yeah. dedication, don't come back. There's no turning back. I mean, that's got, probably a little harder. I, you know, that might, might warrant some follow-up. Okay. So once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. If you want to check us out on Instagram, <laughs> Startup Hustle Podcast. It's pretty much the same across all social media. Now, are we going to rate these? Do we have a rating system here at Movie Night? I think this was definitely How- a, you know, if we're talking out of like five popcorn buckets. I think this was definitely a strong four or five on the rating scale. I mean, it was especially the first half of it anyways. Definitely watch at least the first half. Are we doing popcorn buckets? Is that how it is? And are we going on on it? I'm giving it a, if it's, I'll give it four and a half buckets of popcorn. Um, I, you know, like the, there were a couple parts of it where it, I mean, it's, they could have kept it moving. Yeah. Some of it's a little, a little, a little bit more. Yeah. But it's still, but it's not a long, it's 79 minutes. Yeah. Um, Overall, and then I think the other part is I think some people that are English speaking only will not like the subtitles. I mean, if you if you definitely watch so you, like the you first have to, thirty you have to minutes, sit down it, and watch it. Yeah. You'll get the you'll get yeah. the the biggest lessons out of it probably in the first thirty minutes. But nope. overall, 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 I I'm gonna give it a two watch rating though. I think Absolutely. you gotta watch it. Definitely, yeah, I think it's definitely it. it's definitely worth the time. Um, and once again, that's Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Check out the show notes. We're gonna as we we're gonna try to find movies that you can find on Netflix or other streaming services, so you don't have to like buy something. So there, there's one other really important topic we didn't we didn't touch on, and that right was, on me. and that was his decision not to scale the business. Oh yeah. 
it only has really got into that. This restaurant has 10 seats and you can't even eat there. Like you have to book it a month in advance. And I think in the 10 years or so since the, the movie came out, you can't even eat there at all anymore unless you're like a famous person or, you know, them or whatever. And, and Michelin took away their stars because nobody can even eat there. You, you can't even get a reservation. Well, and part of that was, so after the movie came out, um, after the movie came out, he, Jiro became even more famous because this has been a, a very watched and this is a highly regarded documentary. Um, and he was getting a lot of no-shows. So the thing is, is now if you're going to book, you have to do it in person, which means you have to be there in Japan and you have to book. Wow. And so that's how that goes. And then I think they also use some other services. Now, you know, the, the, so he had a reason for doing that, but apparently one of Michelin's standards is there's a level of exclusivity that yeah. can't exist. Meaning right. you have to be able to like, you and I need to be able to make reasonably be able to get a reservation. Yeah. Yeah. One okay. Thing that so is like his, his, uh, by the way, his son said, look, our food is probably almost as good or as good, but doesn't come with all of the pressure of, hype. and hype of Jiro himself. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it was and, and by the way, they, they had his son's restaurant. He's like, but I have to charge less because of that. Yeah. I think it's probably it's probably only 200 bucks a seat. But it's interesting that he he never wanted to grow the restaurant beyond what it was like. He could have easily opened a restaurant that had 50 seats. Right. But yeah. never did. Which I think is really interesting. So, so would you pay three hundred dollars to eat there? You know, as a once in a lifetime thing, I would. sure, yeah, why not? Yeah. I mean, I would plan a trip around. Like, I'm going to Japan, and the first thing on my list is I'm going to make sure I book that, and I will schedule everything else around that in the trip. Yeah. So you know, I it, regard. I would go there just because I respect the hustle. Absolutely. Like, I mean, literally, like I, I a lot of people know me because I wear T-shirts that say "respect the hustle" a lot. I respect the hustle with Jiro without a doubt that dude's got hustle. And I mean, 94 years old now and Jiro is still alive. That dude, yeah. he's still around. He's still kicking. The restaurant's still open. I doubt he is too concerned about the loss of the Michelin stars. No. Um, you know, and with that, okay. So now this being the inaugural movie night, we did not effectively get to announce what the next movie will be. Are you ready, Matt? Okay. We're going to give you plenty of time. We're going to watch. Okay. So PBS has a series called American Experience. Okay. We're going to watch the one about Henry Ford. Okay. So it's American Experience. It's a, it's a PBS. That's PBS's brand of, of documentaries, but it's the one about Henry Ford. You can find it on Netflix. Um, Ford is a very, very interesting character. Um, he, a lot of failure, a lot of early, early failure followed by a lot of innovation and a lot of different stuff. Um, yeah, I figured that would be a good one. Cause you know, it, it, well, I'll tell you what, if ships in the Harbor rise and sink with the tide, the auto industry rises and sinks with the tide that we call the American economy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, during quarantine, cars are not really getting used. My car is cur- cur- currently getting three weeks to the gallon. Yeah. It, is yours? Oh, you have an electric car. Yeah. See? yeah I'm, I, we have the same carbon footprint now, Matt. 
you know, it's in, it, through not driving. We talk about automotive being interesting if a lot more people continue to work remotely going forward and how that impacts car sales in general. But And offices and everything else. So hang on. I'm going to record the rating. So we're giving what – what is your – what was your – do you have an official number of popcorn buckets here? I'll go with four. You're going with four. Okay. I'm going with 4.5. Four. I'm going with 4.5 because, and that's, like I said, I kind of respect the hustle. I know that I know how Jiro feels. It's like, I just want to go back to work. So with that, I'm going to do exactly that, Matt. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.